0: It's Wednesday, February 10th, and we're recapping some of the big healthcare IPOs of 2020. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's grungy guesser of grabbing go-go growth greenbacks, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Dylan. Tell me about your trip up to uh, the Poconos. (laughs) You know, I had a wonderful time, and and so people connecting some dots here might realize there was a pre-recorded episode that went out on Friday uh, for the tech show. We aired an interview with Twilio CEO Jeff Lawson from The Motley Fool Live members only live stream. Wanted to share that with folks because it was a great conversation. The reason was because I took a little bit of a break, did a work from cabin weekend up in the Poconos and just coincidentally wound up getting a foot of snow dumped on us while we were there, which made for some very fun snowboarding. Brian, I am not the only one though. Who managed to get out and enjoy the snow? I got a slack from you the other day saying, "Hold on, I'm on my phone sledding. <laughs> we can talk about this later." <laughs> yes, I, uh, the, we. Uh,
1: Rhode Island got uh, just like uh, many other parts of the Northeast got dumped on with snow. So I've been out there enjoying it with my kids. Last year we got absolutely nothing. Uh, this year we have been sledding uh, in our in uh, neighborhoods around uh, where we live at least 20 times. So we're really making the most of the snow this year.
0: You have to, you know. I feel like it's a silver lining. It's it's a fun way to get outside. It's it's a COVID-friendly activity. Like we're all just looking for something different right now, Brian. Right? That's
1: exactly it. And uh, (laughs) like you said, it's a COVID-friendly activity. Get outside. It's a great time. Yeah.
0: But I am happy to be back, much as I enjoyed my time away. Um, Happy to be back and happy to be talking with you again, Brian. We are bringing the healthcare back on, on the Wednesday show. I know some folks eagerly want to hear healthcare stocks talked about. Today, we're going to be doing that, breaking down three IPOs from 2020, checking in on them, just as we have with some recent tech shows, Brian.
1: That's right it always takes sense to, to go back reassess companies because now uh, these companies that we talked about when they were uh, pre-public uh, in 2020 now have a little bit of a track record as a public company that we can so that we can look at. so I always love looking back and reminding myself of companies that we talked about.
0: Yep. And so we are going to be talking about Amwell. We are going to be talking about GoodRx. And we have a third business that Brian added late in the game that's Inari Medical. Uh, you can see who did what in terms of the preparation for the outline here. Uh, so those are going to be our three businesses. We'll drop the tickers as we get into it. That first one, Brian, Amwell. I, I have to confess, before you told me this is what we're going to be talking about, I looked at the name of this company and I was like, they could do anything. You know, it's 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 one of those perfectly vague business names that could be in almost any industry.
1: Fair enough. Uh, would it be surprised? Would you be surprised to learn that they're actually in the telemedicine space, which has been a red hot place to invest over the
0: last couple of years? You know, it makes more sense. And then I look at it, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm American Well, it's a healthcare company things are starting to click for me, Brian.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice and nice and generic. Uh, but yeah, the company, uh, the easiest way to describe it is one of Teladoc's biggest uh, competitors. Teladoc has been a wonderful uh, investment, and it's a, and it's a full favorite. Uh, so Amwell came public uh, last September, or September of 2020. Uh, they priced at uh, $18. They raised about $750 million at the IPO. Uh, as we've seen, the stock shot up immediately before retail investors couldn't get in. But not an insane amount. It shot up to tw- about $25, 26 bucks. Uh, so they left some money on the table, but not as much as we've seen uh, from from others. Uh, if you bought in right at the uh, the IPO prices, you're pretty happy. This stock is about uh, about thirty five bucks today. Uh, so you've you're up about forty percent or so. And the market cap of this company is about uh, eight point three dollars. So overall, pretty good start for Amwell. Eight point three billion dollars,
0: I I think. Right? Yes, billion. Did I say million? (laughs) You just said eight point three dollars, which I'm like, you know, that I've I've heard of some pretty insane valuations, Brian. But I think that one would take the cake. Um, (laughs) I think one of the interesting things about this business is as it came public, um, you you mentioned the the average investor getting in a little bit late. There were some big names attached to this company when it went public. Uh, I I believe Google wound up providing an 100 million dollar investment to this business as it was coming public, help bolster the balance sheet a little bit. And you know, for spaces where I'm a little bit less familiar, when I see those types of stamps of approval, it always gets me a little bit more interested.
1: Yeah, the other big name that this company ha- has associated with is Apple. Uh, people um, may have heard of Apple's uh, heart study, which uses the, uh, the Apple Watch to, to monitor and do tracking on, uh, on peop- uh, patients' hearts. Uh, Amwell is the company that is powering that behind the scenes, and Apple chose to part- partner with them. So that is yet another boost of confidence for this business.
0: So I think a lot of folks are familiar with TeleDoc, and I think anyone that owns it is probably quite happy that they do, Brian. Uh, you know, it, it has been a wonderful performer uh, over the last year or so, and certainly over the last you know three or five years. Um, this business operates in a very similar way, and and I think kind of gets at the same things. Does have some differences though. Some uh, some some subtle differences. Uh, the, the biggest with
1: the biggest one that I would say is that. Uh, Um, Amwell really works with existing EHR systems, electronic health record systems. So Amwell provides a software development kit and uh, an API that makes it easy for leading EMR systems to integrate uh, telemedicine directly into their app. Uh, And uh, Amwell has already built out the ability to have over 40 different uh, care modules uh, in here. So it offers a huge range uh, of services and more than 2,000 hospital and hospital systems uh, have chosen to partner with well. And that includes some real big names uh, such as uh, Clean and Clinic and, uh, and UNH and, and Nordwell. So they've done a really good job
0: at penetrating their market. And that's crucial for this kind of business because this is a network effect type company, right? The, the value for users is going to be there if the providers are there. The value for providers is going to be there if the users are there. They feed each other. So when you have a lot, it's only going to mean good things for you if you were choosing a telehealth service to go
1: with, what would be extremely important to you? Uh, for me, it would be service. I want to know that if I need somebody, I'm not going to be in a doctor's waiting room waiting hours upon hours to get in charge uh, with a patient. So to your point there, yes, uh, scale is really important in this business. You want to have thousands upon thousands of doctors available at any given time to interact with a patient and Amwell has already achieved that scale.
0: I think what what kind of surprises me about this business Brian is we we often think of Teledoc as the Kleenex here or the Q-tip here. It's it's the brand name that I think most people are familiar with. And depending on how you stack these companies and what numbers you look at, Amwell is actually edging out Teledoc in some core core business metrics.
1: Amwell has, again, achieved really good, uh, scale. And, uh, as you can probably predict, 2020 was a really pivotal year for the company because we just saw an absolute surge in the demand, uh, for telehealth medicine. So yeah, this company has over, uh, 62,000 uh, providers on its platform, uh, I believe. And, and they, you have, you leverage that to provide tens of thousands of, uh, of use cases. So yeah, they, they are really, I would say the Pepsi
0: to Teledox Coke. And we've seen before, Pepsi, not a bad place to park money. Coke's been great too. But uh, there are so many industries where there are multiple winners. And we've seen it play out. You know, I, I think there's a temptation to think that one big business is going to take everything. And more often than, than not, that doesn't happen especially when there's a
1: mega, mega trend underway. And there's no doubt that the move to telemedicine is a supersonic-sized trend within within healthcare. So, yeah, it's not necessarily going
0: to be a uh, one-company-takes-all kind of environment. So, looking at the recent earnings report for this business, Brian, um, we saw some pretty crazy growth rates for this business. the last couple quarters, 80% year-over-year growth before that 94% year-over-year growth. COVID, obviously a major tailwind for this business. um, And that is a pretty steep acceleration from where we saw them even earlier in 2020. They were posting 60% year-over-year growth. So COVID's helping a lot. I think we're going to see that moderate a bit, but adoption definitely increased due to COVID
1: you're seeing tremendous top-line growth, and that's exactly what you'd want to see at a company at this stage of the game or right now. So, uh, in the most recent quarter, yeah, we saw 80% uh, revenue growth, and and revenue from uh, site visits was up 300%. I mean, that is an insanely uh, large number. So, that's one portion of their revenue, just like Teladoc. Uh, the other revenue is, uh, is subscription uh, revenue, and that grew uh, more than uh, 17%. So, a more uh, that is a much more modest uh, growth rate, but both sides of the business are clearly
0: growing. Yeah, and and just to help people kind of understand what the pie looks like, uh, what we're seeing there from the revenue from visits—that's just about half the revenue, a little bit less than half the revenue. So if they can keep anything close to a triple-digit year-over-year growth rate going, it is going to show up in the top line. We're not talking about some tiny fraction of their business that's building off of its a small denominator here, Brian.
1: That's exactly right. And the interesting thing that I'm going to watch with this business is what's going to happen in 2021. Uh, Was the boost that they got from COVID a one-time thing or was it a a habit-changing formation? I'm hoping that it's the the latter and I think that it could kickstart growth, but we're just going to have to see that as the numbers play out.
0: Yeah, I saw a comment from management recently saying, uh, while visit volumes are lower than the numbers that we had seen in March and April, they are still much higher than before COVID. And so I think that that's something that we have to keep in mind with a lot of businesses, Brian, is things might be uh, moderating a bit, coming back down to slightly more reasonable levels. But if they're still well above where they were before early 2020, then I think that's a growth path
1: totally and and, and that 's something that uh, like you said is, is going to be a one time a, a boost that that is going to be the gift that keeps on giving to companies like this, or at least that 's the uh, theory now one thing I will note that we called out when we did the uh, the s one show on this company is while the the business model is very similar to Teladoc, uh, one surprising thing that I saw was that the gross margin profile here is actually quite a bit lower uh, than Teladoc. In the most recent quarter, Teladoc was in the 62% gross margin range. Uh, That was down due to huge investments to to handle all the capacity that they had to uh, invest in. With Amwell, their gross margin was also down, and this dipped down to the 36% uh, range, so almost half the level of Teladoc. That, to me, is a major differentiator between these two businesses.
0: Yeah, and I think to some extent it's it's the pains of scale for them where they are ramping up very quickly and we we you know we've seen their gross margins go from being in the mid 40s and even eclipsing 50% uh in some quarters a year or two ago to now being in the low 30s. You look over at their operating income and in absolute terms it's Bigger than their revenue, unfortunately, it's negative, negative. and so they are they are obviously in a high growth phase. They're spending a lot of money on SG&A, but they're also really spending a lot more to fulfill their core revenue. And I wonder where that shakes out for them long term, if they're able to enjoy scale, or if we're looking at kind of a different margin profile for this business.
1: That is something that I I too am going to watch as uh, as I follow this company uh, moving forward. On the one hand, the lower gross margin is a big ding uh, for investing in this company versus Teladoc. On the other hand, if Teladoc can get into the 60s, and I think they were even in the 70 percentages uh, at one point, is there reason to believe that as the company continues to grow in scale that there's a lot of room for a gross margin to expand? Uh, If so, that could be a major tailwind for owning this stock.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that this company in the future could also look a little different than it does now. I mean, we we talked about their scale before. They have more two thousand hospitals. I think more than fifty five health plan providers um, that they work with. And I think it is more likely than not that you see them pivot more and more to being tech provider, a little bit less of a services provider. Uh, I'm guessing that's where the better, more scalable, more profitable business is going to be. And I think that that's where we're going to see the business start to orient itself in the coming years.
1: And I think once they do get those uh, hospitals and providers on board, they are building out some really serious uh, switching costs uh, to, to their platform. But getting in those hospital systems and getting on board with health plans and signing up providers, all of that is incredibly expensive uh, upfront. to say nothing of actually fulfilling uh, the, the, the demand. So, uh, if you're an investor, you have to be okay with this company really, really investing in itself for probably a couple of years before you can start to see some, uh, some operating leverage kick in.
0: Yeah, I, I think things could be ugly for a little bit, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the margin profile. Um, and we see this often with businesses in transition. You have to believe the core thesis at the end of the road, though, to want to be a shareholder right now, I think.
1: And so far, shareholders have been rewarded for taking on that risk. I mean, while the margins did decline significantly, that top line grew uh, 80%. So, that is the thing that investors are
0: focused on right now. All right. Let's kick it over to stock number two, Brian, and that is GoodRx, ticker GDRX, another healthcare space company, one that maybe consumers might be familiar with. They might already be customers of this company.
1: Yeah, this is uh, one of the the largest uh, prescription drug pricing comparison platform uh, in in America. This company came public uh, in September of uh, of 2020. They raised just under a billion dollars at the IPO at 33. dollars uh, They left quite a bit of money on the table because the stock immediately shot up to 47. dollars But uh, like we saw uh, with Amwell, if you bought even at 47, you've done okay so far. This stock currently trading at about 59 bucks. Now, GoodRx, like you said, many Americans are likely familiar with this company. It is uh, the leading shopping portal for finding, uh, for helping you to get uh, drug prices. So you download uh, their app or go on their website and type in your medication, and GoodRx will shop around at a number of different pharmacies to find you the absolute lowest price. They provide you with a coupon that you can then take into your pharmacy, and that is the price that your that your drug will get uh, filled at. So if you are a consumer and you're looking to save money on your prescriptions, uh, working with GoodRx is almost a no-brainer.
0: Yeah the way I like to think about it is Google shopping except for prescription drugs. You know, it's it's a market and and we can say this about so many elements of the healthcare market, but it's a market that feels ripe for transparency and ripe for disruption and GoodRx finds itself at a nice intersection here.
1: Totally. And uh, to to your point, I mean, I love the founding story of this business. Uh, The founder had a prescription himself, went down to his local pharmacy and was quoted $450. And uh, he didn't want to pay that amount. So he just started to shop around. And he found that depending on what pharmacy he went to, he got wildly different prices. And he just thought that that was completely uh, opaque. And he built a good good RX from the ground up to really bring uh, pricing transparency to the market.
0: Yeah. And, and it's pricing transparency. It's also looking to solve some issues that are going on in the pharmacy business in general. What what we see, and, and I was shocked by this as we dug into this company and we dug into the space a little bit, was there's a shocking amount of prescriptions that wind up being wasted or left at the pharmacy counter
1: between 20 and 30% of all prescriptions that are, are ordered go unfilled at the pharmacy counter. And that has all kinds of healthcare uh, imp- uh, implications for people. In fact, the company points out that uh, every four minutes, somebody in America dies solely due to lack of adherence to medication. And the number one reason they don't adhere to medicine uh, is because of, of costs. So, GoodRx is on a mission uh, to really make healthcare uh, more affordable for Americans.
0: And and you know what I mean the the more waste that there is in a system the more cost has to be built into it to make up for it, right? And, and so, if you can cut some of that stuff out, it's generally going to be better for consumers.
1: And it also that is one of the reasons why it makes sense that pharmacies and pharmacy benefit managers are interested in working uh, with GoodRx. There's also a cost to them to just fulfill those prescriptions that then that then sit on sit on their shelves and are just are just wasted. If GoodRx can help to reduce the number of prescriptions that go unfilled, it makes sense for them to partner with GoodRx and offer lower prices to everybody. Uh, because uh, it will lower their overall costs.
0: We'll touch on some of the recent earnings elements in a minute, but just as a refresher for folks that maybe didn't catch our previous episode on this company, the bulk of revenue for this company, not surprising given how much we've just talked about prescriptions, it's the prescription side of their company, just about 90%. That's correct. That is the
1: primary money maker. That was their first uh, business uh, that they that they got into. But uh, we do see some optionality with this business. A few years ago, they launched something called GoodRx Gold subscriptions, and that's where subscribers can pay a modest monthly fee of between uh, six and and uh, ten dollars, and they can buy even lower prices on over a thousand drugs at some of their uh, their pharmacy uh, partners. Uh, that's a business that's that's really starting to grow. Another business that this company started up. Was getting into the telehealth uh, space, so a lot of people that have a pres- um, that may need a drug might not have a doctor to actually write them a drug. You can go on GoodRx's platform and use their their telehealth product called Hey Doctor to speak with a uh, a physician and actually get a script if you don't work with a doctor uh, regularly. So the company is building out other business lines for itself,
0: and with that far more total addressable market. Right when we talk about optionality, Brian, we like to see. Companies that have expanding addressable markets—it's one of the reasons that we like seeing these flexible and nimble businesses. In their case, all of these different spaces they're playing in, the numbers get pretty big, pretty fast.
1: These numbers are huge. I mean, I think most people understand that the the pharmacy, uh, the prescription drug market in America is just enormous. But the company estimates that the, the amount of revenue that it could create if it could fulfill all those, those prescriptions that went unfulfilled, that's a $500 billion market opportunity. I mean, that number is so massive, it's really hard to even uh, uh, believe in, in some cases. Uh, that And that, again, is just one of their businesses. They also believe that the telehealth business has uh, hundreds of billions of dollars that they could uh, get into and up for grabs. And they also work with um, manufacturers to, to help them implement Implement uh, pot cards and get uh, patient assistant programs. That is also a $30 billion uh, market opportunity. So if this company does not succeed, it's not because its market isn't huge.
0: <laughs> Brian, you were the one who dug a little bit more into the recent earnings report for this company. Uh, what did you see?
1: Basically, great results all across the board. Uh, the, the the metric that we track uh, most closely would be monthly active users. That's the number of people that are have downloaded a GoodRx's app and are using it to fulfill their prescriptions. Uh, that number grew 29% over the last quarter to 4.9 uh, million. That translated into revenue growth for the company of 38% to $140 million. And if you look at that, you break down that total as you uh, teed up at the top of the show, uh, 88% of that total is from prescription revenue, that grew 30% to $124 million. Their other revenue uh, segment, which includes the gold subscriptions as well as the telemedicine, that uh, revenue grew 170% uh, to $16 So really good top line growth. And the thing that really jumped off a
0: page to me was the gross margin here.
1: Dylan, this company's gross margin, 94%.
0: Yeah, that's what happens when you specialize in digital goods, right?
1: (laughs) That's that's the power of a business where essentially your business is digital coupons, right? (laughs) I mean, that is just an insanely high number. And it's likely that that's going to come back down to earth over time as their other businesses grow. But overall, uh, wow. Now, in their first quarterly report, uh, they did report a net loss of $50 million, but that isn't really a true net loss. Uh, the CEO made uh, a- almost $100 million in stock-based compensation just from taking the uh, the company public. So if you adjust for that, the company reported an adjusted net income of $36 million. That figure was up 53% uh, over Over the prior period. So this company is growing the top line fast, has strong margins, and is highly profitable.
0: Yeah. And you know, you're not going to sweat profitability too, too much when you see those growth rates and those margins, right, Brian? Like that's something you want to feed and let grow as big as it's going to get.
1: Yeah, but I love seeing companies at this stage (laughs) of the game are already profitable. And while the business is nine years old, it's it's a pretty decent sized company already. It's a twenty three billion dollar business. Given the revenue growth and the gross margins, I understand why it's that huge. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so it seems like all told, things are looking pretty good over at GoodRx.
1: Really good public debut. Uh, they exceeded expectations on their first report. They remain ridiculously profitable, and huge opportunity ahead. So yeah, a lot of reasons to like this company.
0: All right, stock number three is Inari Medical. Ticker there, N I N A R I, a medical device company, and. I think listeners of our show have gotten pretty used to you bringing some interesting medical device companies into the conversation, Brian.
1: This is a medical device company that's focused on I'm gonna do my best here. Venous thromboembolisms. Essentially, those are when there's a blood clot uh, in the vein that is restricting flow of blood. Uh, Inari Medical makes a couple of products that go in there and help to remove that uh, blood clot. This is a company that is currently worth about 5.6 billion dollars. We talked about it last May, so it's been public for uh, almost uh, almost a year. They raised 180 million at the IPO and they priced at 19 dollars. Wow, did they screw up that number because the stock immediately doubled to $41 if uh it, for that's the price that a public investors could have uh, got. So they that was that was over 100% pop on on day 1. But even still, if you bought after that 100% pop on day 1, wow, are you happy. This stock is currently at $113. So it has been a huge winner right out of the gate. I think we're
0: going to need to unpack exactly what that mouthful was that you got through. I'm going to take a stab at it and then, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, VTE, venous thromboembolisms. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about what that is, what the market looks like for this, because I'm sure most people listening to this have never heard of that before.
1: Yeah, that is simply a, a a blockage or a blood clot that exists in in somebody's uh in somebody's veins, and that just restricts flow to a uh, certain part of, of your body. Now, blood clots are are nothing new. There's actually hundreds of products uh, on the market that treat uh, that remove blood clots uh, from the body. There's also a whole bunch of drugs that people can use to thin their blood and make blood flow uh, easier. What Anari did that is that is novel here is uh, most. Uh, all of the existing products that were made to remove blood clots were designed specifically for arteries, and arteries uh, are different than veins. Arteries carry oxygenated, oxygenated blood away from the heart, whereas veins carries low-oxygen blood back to the heart for reoxygenation, uh, oxygenation. I'm assuming that word is correct. Jeez, I don't even know. <laughs> um, so. Arteries are have a, dealing with a lot of pressure uh, because they're coming; they have the heart pushing behind them. Veins, by comparison, are obviously under pressure too, but the pressure is much lower uh, than it is for, for arteries. All the existing medical products that are out there that have been used uh, on veins were first and specifically designed for the arteries. What Inari did was specifically make their products for the veins. That might sound like a small difference difference to, to you and me, but if you look at the numbers, healthcare providers clearly understand the difference.
0: Yeah, and I, I this screams in-the-weeds thing that you really only understand if you have to or if you want to, you know, the, the kind of thing that just isn't going to come up uh, at dinner table conversation, Brian.
1: Yeah, uh, fair enough. But uh, again, when it comes to things like this, uh, I always take management's word for it and then say, great, prove it with the numbers. Yeah, I believe you, but go out and prove that you can uh, generate enormous revenue growth with this product on the market. And there's no doubt that Inari has done just that. In their first quarterly r- report, they reported revenue growth of 172%. That number was $39 million in total. That is clear sign of product market fit. Uh, impressively here, the gross margin of this business is 90%. Two uh, percent already. So, wow, Holy cow! Is that strong top line growth and a very high gross margin?
0: Yeah. No, that's that, that's the kind of number that makes you pay attention. <laughs> you know, for for anyone whose eyes or ears may have glazed over during the, <laughs> during some of the earlier medical discussion, ninety-two percent is going to make your ears perk up. Um, and and I mean, this is a business that is wait for it, Brian. It's, it's profitable. That there are profits to show for it, which is impressive given that growth rate.
1: Yeah, again, this is roughly a five billion dollar company, clearly in hyper growth mode. So I would just naturally expect that they would be bleeding capital and reinvesting like crazy. That's a very common thing that we see for medical device companies. Uh, as you just teed up, uh, this this company is profitable. In the most recent quarter, its net income was six point five million dollars. That fact, that figure was up twenty fold uh, over the prior period albeit off of a small base. But that, to me, is just the power of having a really strong top-line growth and a really high gross margin. <laughs> I'm sure this company is investing as quickly as it can to hire and build out, but uh, its top-line growth is so strong that it almost accidentally made a profit.
0: <laughs> if you run out of places to put the cash and you still have some left over, I would consider that a high-class problem.
1: Yeah, Totally, for, for <laughs> sure. Uh, now, management did uh, recently at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, which is an annual conference that a lot of companies go to and kind of share their plans for the year ahead. Uh, they did give us a sneak peek at their fourth quarter results. And basically, they said that uh, the momentum continues. In the fourth quarter of the year, they said that they expect to grow the top line by at least 141%. So the huge top line growth uh, continues. This company is going to report earnings in a couple of weeks, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of forecast they give for 2021 as a whole but wow Dylan so far so good.
0: So Brian if you were to look at the three of these and force rank them. I'm curious what what order are you putting them in in terms of most interested to least interested. Also do you own any of these businesses?
1: I do not own any of these businesses but uh, after reviewing them I mean there are plenty of reasons uh, to 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 do so uh especially uh so I'll, I'll answer your question first I would say I am most interested in GoodRx uh, after doing after doing this show. I think that they have really built themselves out. Uh, they are the number one uh, app in their space uh, by far. They have the scale. They're still run by their founder, and they clearly have optionality inherent in in the business. To to say nothing of uh, of of the profit. So of the three, I think that is probably the low lowest risk uh, business, and I could see that really being a market beater. But I'm not gonna uh, close my eyes on Anari. I mean, they're top line growth is just extreme and their gross margin is so, so impressive. So if forced to rank them, I would say number one, GoodRx, number two, Inari, number three, Amwell. But how about you, Dylan?
0: You know, I I look at Inari and what they're doing and I say upside, they might be the riskier but higher upside business out of the three. And I think GoodRx is a business that has plenty of upside in front of it, maybe risk adjusted, a, a little bit less to worry about there. Um, so, I, I think you could debate which one gets top billing there depending on what your personal risk profile is, but they both seem like really, really solid businesses and we've seen some great stuff there. I want to see what happens a little bit with margins and Amwell. I think they're in an interesting line of business, we've seen it be successful. In some ways, You know, it kind of reminds me of the trade desk-magnite dynamic, where it's like you see one of these companies go on an absolute tear this other one operates in pretty much the same space. Like, you know, it's it's not hard to envision it growing very quickly. Um, but I think that that business does have some more questions than these other two.
1: I mean, the bottom line for me is there's reasons to like and invest in all three of these companies. And we say over and over, you don't have to pick one, you can invest in all three if you want to.
0: Yeah, there you go. There's there are no called strikes. And you know, there there's no nothing wrong with going the basket approach and just buying a little bit of everything. That's
1: right. And I love doing these review shows because it reminds me to go back and take another look at these companies. (laughs) And I, I remember the first time we looked at GoodRx and I was just like, wow. What a gross
0: margin. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, Brian, is we, we sometimes it's an embarrassment of riches with the companies we talk about. You know, it's like we, we get on a, a heater and there are a bunch of prospectuses that come out. And all of a sudden, you know, just in doing shows, we've got a, a laundry list of 10 or 15 stocks that we've looked at recently. And sometimes you get a little attached to the stuff you talk about most recently, a little bit of recency bias there. It's nice to revisit things and make sure that you're keeping your watch list up to date.
1: Yeah. And again, the nice thing about relooking at companies uh, after the fact is you now have actual data to look back on and see how they have adjusted to life as a public company. And for all three of these companies, so far, so
0: good. All right, Brian, thank you so much for joining me and talking healthcare. Always a treat. And I know our healthcare-oriented listeners are always happy to hear you on the show. Anytime, Dylan. <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions, you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have four more recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Cool on.